Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie. It is our final week or final episode for our Halloween October Murder Mystery Month. It's our favorite month of the year to make content. Um, it really and- is. I'm excited about this topic today because we are talking about psychopaths, more specifically women psychopaths in movies and in famous characters. So I'm excited. In preparation for this, I actually finally watched Gone Girl for the first time this morning, and I feel like I'm still kind of recovering from it, to be it's honest. It's so good. <laughs> it was really good. It was very much worth all the hype that I heard about it. it was yeah. Horrifying. Oh, definitely. I have to say, like, the way this episode came about is actually kind of funny. It started with a conversation we had with you at the beginning of the year where you were Mm -hmm. talking about your hatred for Gone with the Wind. Correct. And And I can't wait to talk about it again. (laughs) I know. And then um, it kind of came up where it was like, oh, like, there's actually this incredible college paper that was written that's female psychopaths in literature, a comparative analysis by Shruti Salish. It's now posted on Medium, and it compares Gone with the Wind and Gone Girl and how the psychopathy – that's how you say it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Psycho- yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Between the two of them is, like, such an interesting comparison mm-hmm. and, like, shows how women in literature are portrayed when they are, like, psychotic. So yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was the perfect way to end out this whole month because like we're talking about all of these murder mysteries and everything and that's one thing that i feel like pops up in literature without people recognizing it very much Mm -hmm. psychopathic women or like sociopathic and like how that looks different and yeah all of that seriously Mm -hmm. like ever since we decided on this topic we've thought of even more like you talked about simple favor the Mm -hmm. movie and that has um blake lively in it and she is 100% at least a sociopath if not a psychopath yeah totally. Um, I thought of Rebecca and actually found like a whole article about it Rebecca Mm -hmm. is a psychopath and that's the novel by Daphne Demure Mm -hmm. um East of Eden is like a really popular one Vanity Fair and then there's more there's like this book called Jane Doe um I recently realized Roxy Hart in Chicago Oh, definitely. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think people even brought up like Fleabag in different mm. things. Interesting. The main character of Fleabag. So there's so many, like there's so many women that could be ca- categorized as this. And yet I feel like we don't talk about it as much as like people bring up American Psycho. Yeah. And totally. like other male psychopaths. I agree. I actually wanted to start with this quote by the author of Gillian Flynn from Gone Girl, where she talked about like, how an important aspect of feminism is accepting that women can be just pragmatically evil, bad, and selfish. And honestly, even when I was watching Gone Girl this afternoon, like first comes, you know, you think the husband is a horrible man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You think he did it. 
you think he did it. Yes. And you're just like waiting for the explanation. And then you see that, like, okay, he cheated on her. And then you find out that she planned her death and was going to frame him for murder. And to be completely honest, my first response was like, yeah, she should. Like, he cheated on her. It was like, good for her. Go to whatever lengths you want if he's cheating on you. But then as the movie progressed even more, I was like, oh, no. This woman no, no, is, no. This is not, this is not a, like, you go, girl. Like, I don't know. It's just the pointing out of, like, another aspect of feminism is saying, oh, women can do wrong. But also, you know, understanding, like, obviously nothing is happens in a vacuum. So yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yes. But, like, also... We don't support all women's wrongs. No, we don't. <laughs> and these characters are truly insane and evil. So maybe not True. insane, but like they do not lead with empathy. That's for sure. They go they go a little mad. So yeah, I thought that was a good precursor to talking yeah. about psychopaths that are women. No, I actually looked into like why female psychopaths aren't brought up as often. Mm-hmm. I-, I wondered because like I thought for a long time they're not as common And then I realized it's just that, like, there's some differing factors that lead to, like, male psychopaths being identified more. There's, like, Mm. this whole thing. So one of the things about psychopaths, if you want to know the official definition, it's people who lack empathy and remorse. Mm -hmm. So they're not able to empathize with other people. They can't really feel guilty. And so they're highly likely to victimize other people. And they said one of the things that's interesting is that female psychopaths aren't as common, but it might just be because their antisocial traits and tendencies are harder to spot. Mm. And then they pointed out the differences between them. So male psychopaths use physical aggression or behavioral aggression, Mm -hmm. while females use indirect or relational. Male psychopaths commit more crimes and more violent crimes than females, which lead to obviously less diagnosis because if you're not getting thrown in jail, they're not going to If you're recognize. not getting caught, yeah, for like criminal yeah. behavior, they're not going to take the time really to diagnose you. Yep. This one was interesting. Male psychopaths show less interest in forming relationships or being liked and accepted than female mm. psychopaths. And mm. I even saw a thing where it's like female psychopaths will actively – try to get in like romantic relationships and friendships in order Mm -hmm. to kind of manipulate the people around them. Mm -hmm. Whereas male psychopaths are kind of the standard live alone in a hut. Yeah, like like they they just don't care. And this one's interesting too. Male psychopaths are more likely to be cold, detached, and unemotional. And female psychopaths are more emotional, dramatic, irritable, and impulsive. And Male psychopaths usually develop their antisocial traits and behaviors before the age of 10, and females usually do it in their teens, which I was Uh, like, when you're more likely to be emotional, dramatic, irritable, and impulsive? (laughs) As as an adolescent. Yes. (laughs) For everyone. Would would therefore make it a lot harder for people to actually define when women are psychopathic. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of leads to it bleeding into literature a lot more than people recognize with like a lot more psychopathic characters being written that are women than anyone even thinks about. Yeah, totally. And I mean, of course, whatever, like as far as like clinically diagnosing someone, obviously, like we are talking about, you know, like they're fake characters. They're fake characters. I'm going to acknowledge that. But also... When all their behaviors seem, not all of their, when a lot of their behaviors seem to line up with the things that would diagnose someone. That's the framework we're using here. (laughs) And I mean, if you want to go into the whole difference between like psychopaths and sociopaths, Mm -hmm. there's like a whole debate about that. The person in the article kind of mentioned that 
in order to prevent confusion, she was just going to refer to all of them as psychopaths. They are fake characters, so I feel like that's, like, a fair thing to do. Like, we're not calling actual people psychopaths and would heavily refrain from doing so. I think it's important that you don't diagnose anyone, but, like, they're they're fake characters. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. for, like, clarity's sake, we're just going to call them psychopaths. No, I fully agree with that. And I feel like an interesting thing, at least, like, when I watch movies, on movies with unlikable evil characters, like women characters, I, I'm usually intrigued by it. And I think if anything, it's almost like because, so for example, <laughs> I was watching Gone Girl with my husband. And as I mentioned, my initial reaction to finding out that she had plotted this murder mm-hmm. was like, you go girl as you should. And he like looks at me and he's like, I, should I be concerned that this is your initial reaction? <laughs> and um, of course that as the movie progressed, like I said, I was like, all right, I'm no longer rooting for this woman. But afterwards, like when we were talking and he was like kind of poking fun at the fact. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be honest, yeah, like there are times in my life where I've like, it's like a fantasy of like enacting this perfect revenge plot against someone yes. who's wronged you. It's never something I would actually act on and nor would I ever go as far as what she did originally. <laughs> Let's be very clear. But yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. think it's like interesting, I think as a woman and as a woman who I've for most of my life been very much like do what I'm told, like, you know, keep the peace type personality, make everybody happy. There's like almost this like interesting relishing in like watching an evil woman on screen. I don't know if that like makes sense or if I'm being honest, like my, you know, darkest fantasies is getting revenge on people that I think deserve it. I never would and I would never do yeah. something violent. Also, let's be very clear. I don't want to incriminate myself on this podcast here. But you know what I mean? So I feel like it's like this weird way that women can still latch themselves on to is because you can like see maybe your darker feelings like brought and obviously emphasized and taken to such an extreme but then like at a, you know you can relate to that in a, in a way sometimes. yeah i no, don't know <laughs> i think it no i think it goes back to what we talked about in our bonus book episode this month of like mm. maybe women are attracted to darkness not because of anything else other than the fact that it exists within us yeah, true. I think mm-hmm. it's important to realize that, like, in society, women aren't really allowed to kind of have feelings or yeah. actions like that. And so, yeah, it is kind of like a fantasy to be like, wow, that's so far against anything that I would ever do. But yeah. there's some part of you that's just like, but that probably feels good that she's that able to pro- do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because like revenge, I feel like everyone can relate to that. And I think that mm-hmm. that's what makes the main character of Gone Girl a little bit more sympathetic in some ways that yeah. you kind mm-hmm. of do feel a little bit for her. I think it's almost crazy that in our film tropes episode, we like talked about the cool girl and we like used her, her whole monologue that she does as something that it's like as a woman, I've felt that I felt the frustration of being like uh but like what am I supposed to be and is like who I am actually what this person like or do they just like the idea of me I relate to that I relate to everything she's saying (laughs) but she also has zero regard for anyone around her and has been evil since day one you know so no it's hard because it's like the problem isn't necessarily what she's feeling it's just the fact that like she has no consideration empathy anything Mm -hmm. for any other person so it's like the emotions aren't necessarily the problem no like she was cheated on she was betrayed she feels like there's unrealistic expectations put on herself that aren't put on 
the opposite sex within mm-hmm. marriage. Like, those are all very relatable things. Yeah. The problem is, is that she, like, slowly builds up a blood supply so that she can frame her husband for murder. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting generous again thinking about that scene. Oh, I did my not gosh. like it. It is absolutely yeah. insane the effort, like, the process she went through in order to frame him. It's something that, like, no one would do. And that's yeah. why I feel like you're like you get a little bit of glee in it too because it's like that's it's true. Not it's possible. like yeah, like <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do that in real life. And so oh. in a way, you're living in a fantasy world watching this happen. But oh, the ending, the all the twists and turns that movie took. I'm like, okay, I get why people love that movie. I was not, oh, yeah. I was not ready for it. Ah. I think we need to do a watch party and watch it this week. I'm down. I'm yeah. so down. Because it's so good. Well, I guess if we're going to talk about this, then Gone with the Wind versus Gone Girl. Um, yes. I mean, coincidentally, both of these movies have the word gone in the, <laughs> I know. In the title, which just feels poetic in a way. Like, what um, are the odds of that? I know. And of course, like, they're very, very different stories, very different settings. I mean, Gone with the Wind takes place in... I think like the 1800s, I mean, within the time of the Civil War and then the time immediately following it, Gone Girl is like 2010s, I imagine. I don't know exactly the year, the world that it lives in, but there were no iPhones. But they definitely follow the trope of the psychotic woman who kind of like hit a breaking point in some ways. They both seem to be motivated by a scorned love. But I thought it was like interesting to talk about that's not enough. Like it almost minimizes who they were as like evil women just to be like, oh, they were just reacting to their lover that's done them wrong. Like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. People do emotionally crazy things as the scorned lover. They both kind of take things to new levels. Yeah. We'll talk about it at the end, but I love how the author of that article I mentioned that she brings up the fact that it has more to do with like their roles as women in society mm-hmm. with how they react and like the, the scorned lover is just like the trigger point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's almost like what finally like, made them yeah. respond in a way that Which, was beyond coming if, back from. <laughs> if you watch crime shows, you know that every serial killer has like a trigger point mm-hmm. that they like eventually they just snap or not even serial killer, just like every violent murder uh, situation. Crime. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it always leads to like a point where they just snap, they like their brain just can't take it anymore. As I'm the one who's seen Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I'll talk about it first. <laughs> so it was like months ago. I think we brought it up when we did Women in the Oscars. I don't remember when, but Probably. we talked about it because we had referenced the first black woman in America to win an Oscar. And it was for her role that she did in Gone with the Wind. And when we talked about that, it was also pretty soon after I had watched the movie. I was really sick one weekend. And so, you know, I was stuck on the couch. Let's watch this classic that's really, really long. Really long. I did not like that movie at all, mainly because there was not one redemptive moment, in my humble opinion, (laughs) in very many of the characters. And I know that's the point. I know that's the point of the movie. But it doesn't make it fun. But it wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I hated Scarlett. I hated her so much. I'm going to just go through what the plot is. Or Do you know what the plot of Gone with the Wind is? Oh, tell it. Because okay. I'm going to do the same with Gone Girl. So we're Perfect. Good. So 1861 is where this opens up. It's the eve of the Civil War where Scarlett O'Hara, she lives at Tara. 
Tara, I think, yeah, is what it's called. It's, oh, it's her family's cotton plantation in Georgia. Mm. Cotton plantation in Georgia, which is just another like side thing where it's like, these are slave-owning Confederate. Yeah. All that goes into that. Anyways, but she lives there with her family and many of their slaves. And she's deeply infatuated with Ashley Wilkes, but learns that he's to be married to his cousin, Melanie Hamilton. Incestuous. And I, I mean... <laughs> racism incest <laughs> wow I think that, like marrying cousins wasn't the weird thing then but like i don't care i i don't like it i don't That's like it weird anyways at an engagement party the next day at ashley's home 12 oaks another nearby plantation she like makes an advance on ashley but he basically says like no i'm gonna be married but she does catch the attention of another guest whose name is rhett butler rhett butler is gonna become a very key point in this story. During this party, though, there is news that President Lincoln has called for volunteers to fight the South. So all of the men at the party oh. kind of rush to enlist. To fight the South for a minute. I was like, to fight for the South is what I heard. Mm. And I was like, wasn't Lincoln part no, 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 of the yeah. emancipation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to fight the South. And so as a response, gotcha. they all went to enlist. Scarlett ends up marrying Melanie's younger brother, Charles, which Melanie is the person that Ashley is going to be married to. And mm -hmm. the reason why she does this is to basically just make Ashley jealous before he leaves to fight. Charlie ends up dying while serving in the army. And then Scarlett's mother sends her to the Hamilton home, which is Melanie, the wife of the man she loves. But she sends her to their home in Atlanta. She basically like creates this whole scene because she attends a charity in mourning, like a charity fundraiser in mourning attire, but she dances with Rhett Butler, who is a blockade runner for the Confederacy. And everyone's like, you're supposed to be mourning your husband. Why are you dancing yeah. with another man? Kind of a like, why? and also I think it was like a, a scandal that she was even out at all. The Battle of Gettysburg happens, obviously not on screen, but you hear about it. And many of the men in Scarlet's town are killed. Eight months later, the Union Army has a whole attack on the city in Atlanta. And then like kind of in the midst of this, Melanie gives birth with Scarlett's aid. And so Scarlett's basically helping them and Rhett helps them flee the city. And to be honest, like Scarlett was a big part in like helping Melanie. Like she didn't desert Melanie. She hates her the whole time, like loathes her, but she does help her. And honestly, I think a lot of it's because she's like, oh, I know it's Ashley's bride and like he would be sad so he does it for her whatever Rhett goes off to fight and leaves scarlet to make her own way back to tara um where sh she finds her old home completely deserted except for her father sister and a couple former slaves mammy and pork and then she learns that her mother had just died of typhoid feeder fever and her dad is just losing his mind their plantation is pillaged by union troops and all the fields and basically she like takes a vow to ensure that her and her family like she basically says i'm gonna make sure that my family survives confederacy obviously loses the war and the O'Hara's, like them as people, they are the ones in the cotton fields. Ashley returns, but he's not really much help to Tara. Scarlet actually begs him to run away with her. And he confesses that he has desire for her and kisses her passionately, but says he cannot leave Melanie. Scarlet's father ends up dying. He like tries to chase away someone who's like on their land. And then he's thrown from his horse and killed. He they are unable to pay the reconstructionist tax that was on the plantation. So Scarlett appeals to Rhett to see if 
like they'll he'd be willing to help her because he's really rich by the way Mm. but then what she does is her younger sister her fiance who's a wealthy general store owner she basically dupes him into marrying her named frank kennedy wait into marrying her not her sister yes i don't know why she had to marry him but like she basically stole her sister's fiance away from her like for her own ends and her own meat like i have to protect the family whatever there's a moment afterwards she starts a business in the wake of the confederacy and at one point she's like walking home and she's attacked after driving through the town alone i think like through like a quote-unquote sketchy part frank ashley and rhett and other men like go after her um, or go after the people who hurt her which causes frank to die in a way because of scarlet frank died which like isn't necessarily the case but like you just feel for frank because you know that scarlet just hates him but she just married him for his money and then shortly after frank's funeral rhett butler proposes to scarlet and then she accepts rhett and scarlet have a daughter who they name bonnie blue but scarlet this whole time is still pining for ashley goodness <laughs> and she refuses to have any more children and share a bed with rhett because she doesn't want to ruin her figure but then one day at frank's mill ashley's sister sees scarlet and ashley embracing so i don't know if they're having like a full-blown affair i can't remember but they're like definitely having encounters india the sister doesn't like scarlet so she spreads rumors and then rhett hears about the rumors as well he forces scarlet to attend a birthday party for ashley and then melanie actually stands by scarlet and the reason why is like Melanie is like so loyal to Scarlett because of the fact that she like knows that Scarlett essentially saved her life and like helped her deliver this baby. So there's so many times in the movie that Melanie's like, yeah, I know Scarlett sucks, but like she's been a good friend to me. But yet this Mm -hmm. whole time, you know that Scarlett just like loathes her entirely. Whatever. It's fine. (laughs) But then after this, Scarlett finds Rhett downstairs drunk. They argue about Ashley. Trigger warning here. Rhett kisses Scarlet against her will, stating his intent to have sex with her that night, but then carries the struggling Scarlet to the bedroom. Things are implied, right? The next day, though, he apologizes for his behavior and says, all right, we're going to get a divorce. And then she rejects it, saying it would be a huge disgrace. So then he goes off to London for a while, and then Scarlet informs him that she's pregnant. But then they get in a big fight, resulting in her falling down the stairs, and then she suffers a miscarriage. And then while she's recovering from this tragedy, her daughter dies while attempting to jump a fence with her pony. Okay. Then Scarlet and Rhett visit Melanie, who has suffered complications from a new pregnancy, and she's on her deathbed. And then Scarlet now in this moment is consoling Ashley, (laughs) Rhett is like ready to leave like he's out of there but but then it oh after hours after hours of watching Scarlett pine over this Ashley man when finally Melanie dies and she could have him she just realizes that she really loved Rhett this whole time okay so then she goes to Rhett and she begs him to stay and he says no (laughs) and he walks away and then At the end of the movie, you just hear her say that she is going to return home and she vows to herself to one day win Rhett back. And that is the end. Who wrote this book? Are they okay? Probably not. Listen, for one thing, it was just like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in a way that was just like, this isn't real. But also, I mean, like, I guess if you're like suffering like through a war, yes, okay, maybe there would be that much tragedy. I can't remember if Ashley 
rejected her even after Melanie was dead. And so she was like, oh, so I actually really do love Rhett this whole time. Or if it was like, oh, now that Melanie is gone and like I could have him, I'm realizing that like I just wanted what I couldn't have. And so then she realizes that she really loved Rhett the whole time. What, 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 what? There wasn't a redeeming person except for Melanie. Melanie was the one redeeming person in this entire entire thing. I hate her. I love this quote. So it's easiest to talk about the context of the fatal flaw because she's quite flawed. Like I mentioned, she's manipulative, selfish, and harsh, but none of those are fatal. What's fatal for her is that she believes that her manipulation, selfishness, and harshness are enough for her to overcome any obstacle. And they're not. With Rhett, she meets her match. She does have some good qualities. She has a stern sense of tradition and she's willing to do what is required, but is also a strong, willful woman, not something that was easy or generally accepted in that system society, but those qualities are often overshadowed by her negative one. For instance, she may be strong and willful, but she's only willing to combat cultural norms when it serves her need to do so. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. as in the case of her treatment of her ex-slaves, she doesn't care. Like she mistreats them the entire, Mm -hmm. the entire movie. She's by no means enlightened. Even marrying Frank to save Tara isn't altruistic because it's too her benefit and she manipulated poor frank at the expense of his happiness and her sisters because the two of them were very much in love so it's like i think that an overarching theme of the of the book and the movie and i think that like a point is the fact that it's all about survival right Mm. where it's like this is a woman who is very not within cultural norms she is willing to do what is necessary to survive. And on one hand, that's awesome. That's great. But on the other, it shows like what pursuing that can do on a negative sense where it's like now she is hurting all these people around her and she doesn't see anyone as a person that could be affected by any of the decisions. Everyone around her is just an ends to a means, you know? And like even in the end when she's like, no, I realized I actually loved Rhett this whole time. That wasn't some amazing character growth moment, in my opinion. Like I said, it was just her realizing that, like, oh, I actually just, like, I like the idea of Ashley more than I actually liked Ashley. And now, in retrospect, I think, yeah, I do love Rhett. What? What? <laughs> like, I just, I can't take Gosh. it. So I hate her. Yeah. I hate her so much. I mean, not to, like, Rhett Butler, I don't like him either. I don't like him one bit. And Ashley, he sucks too. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was all about like honor. And it's like, I told my cousin I would marry her. And so I have to like fulfill that. And she's pregnant. She has a baby. I can't abandon my family. But at the same time, like he does also kiss her and embrace Scarlett and like pines after her for years. So So it's like- Openly cheat on her with you, but I'm not gonna just leave her and- yeah, so like you decided Why that's is truly this a an classic? I was like actually reading about it and it was basically just like the way it was filmed and just the scope and the magnitude of it just was like so it was just it was a beautiful film to look at. I will be honest. Okay. Like it did feel like a weird piece of history. So and it's like know, more the movie that kind of made it so famous rather than the book. Yeah, and also, too, like, I, the author, I don't think she thinks these characters are right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think she is presenting them, and the people who are making the movie were also presenting them as flawed characters. Like, you can write movies about people who are bad. I'm just, I just hated her. Yeah. This is another thing I want to talk about where she's kind of like a not-like-other-girls type person, to put it as the most, like, basic kind of way of saying that. And I loved this 
quote where Scarlett, she embraces her femininity to the extent that it allows her to attract male attention because she gets so much validation from being seen as desirable by men. And she views other women as competition. So it's like the fact that Ashley wasn't going to choose her over Melanie, I think just drove her insane. You know, it, like she couldn't handle that. She doesn't have any female friends except for Melanie, but she despises her the whole times. And she condemns other women for acting weak and silly in the presence of men, but at the same time would also act that exact same way because she knew that's what it would take to garner male interest. Uh, this is a quote from it where she talks about being a woman is a burden and she says, quote, I'm tired of everlastingly being unnatural and never doing anything I want to do. I'm tired of acting like I don't eat more than a bird and walking when I want to run and saying I feel faint after a waltz when I could dance for two days and never get tired. I'm tired of saying how wonderful you are to fool men who haven't got one half the sense I've got. And I'm tired of pretending I don't know anything so men can tell me things and feel important while they're doing it. So I mean, relatable. Yeah, it's yeah. like the cool girl speech where it's like, I think that's like what makes people in a way drawn to these characters is because it's like, I get it. Yeah. I know how that feels. I'm so sympathetic to it. But what takes, it's just like, you know, it takes it to the next step of it's like, if these aren't just women who are frustrated being women in the society that's like against them, they fight that, which is cool. But at the same time, they don't see anyone else around them as also a person. Yeah. And so they're willing to just do whatever whatever necessary to the people around them to kind of try and fight the system. It's I mean, not it makes people sense. People. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, like, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about where like the emotions aren't wrong. It was just like the way they go about it. Like her mm -hmm. feeling captured by being a woman in the 1800s. I'm like – yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> fair. And it's sad how much of that sentiment she shares is still true today. Yeah. You know? Like I said, that quote, that whole book came out in the 1900s based off of a character from the Civil War. Like I resonate with those feelings and women have been resonating with those feelings for a very, very long time. Yeah. But it's just, you know, what do you do with those feelings? <laughs> Not anything that she did except maybe um, like helping save her family's plantation but then again i don't agree with slavery so couple that with the fact that they were like a slave owning giant plantation i just i don't know if it was a more sympathetic character back a while ago or like from certain demographics because to me i'm just like screw you <laughs> like, yeah i don't I'm know like not only did you own other people some of you were marrying your cousins and yeah. you also were like a terrible person and also continued to mistreat the like your former slaves after they still yeah. continue to like stay with your family. And I, I just loved the, that it pointed out the fact that it's like she was only progressive if it would serve herself, mm -hmm. which I think is something it's like the quote unquote, like white feminism. Yeah. That, you know, people talk about a lot where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people who are willing to call themselves feminists, but like it's only when it's about things that affect them. But then there people are sometimes unwilling to see outside of themselves and how it could be affecting them and realize that like there's it's such more of a compound issue no, yeah and you know still treating people who are different than you <laughs> that's funny giving this... them the same credit anyway yeah <laughs> like this is kind of off topic but it's come up a lot lately where people were talking about if they ever have to enact a draft again mm -hmm. they're like well they should include women or something and then a bunch of women will be like 
no, like, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't. And, like, I don't want to go to war. But I saw a TikTok. I mean, I just don't think there should be a draft, period. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I saw a TikTok where the lady was like, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be drafted. I don't want you to either. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh-huh. I think there just shouldn't be a draft. Actually, yeah. if you think about it in the grander scheme of things, I just think there shouldn't be war. And then she went yeah. on this whole thing and I was like, so fair. Like, yeah, so That's fair. exactly my sentiment that it's like, no, I don't want women to be drafted. I don't want men to be either. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, no, I think that that's a really good point, making sure that feminism is inclusive, right? You're not, like, cheering for progress in only the ways that, like, you could benefit from it. And if there is one thing Scarlett O'Hara is the champion of, oh, it's that. <laughs> it is yeah. that. Anyway, so I have personal beef with this movie because it <sighs> I wasted hours of my life watching it. Maybe yeah. people love it. If someone out there loves that movie, actually, like, tell, like you know, I would love to hear it genuinely. I'm sure there maybe might I'm be some, something. Maybe some people love it for like the lesson or something. You know, yeah. like that there's mm-hmm. something to be learned within it. And so, even though like the characters aren't likable, it like teaches you something. I don't know. That's true. And I mean, that's the case for a lot of movies. So yeah. But anyways, there's Scarlet. Boom, I mean, Scarlet. Clark Gable. Is, <laughs> yeah pretty attractive we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists so this week for my spotlight i'm not necessarily doing like a halloween themed one so forgive me for that but it is a podcast that i recently found they have like twenty-seven thousand followers on instagram so maybe if you're listening you've already heard of them i hadn't um but it's bad on paper podcast their bio is like a weekly dose of books and banter Every Wednesday. And it's hosted by Olivia Munter, I believe, and then Becca Freeman. I think they're both authors and just huge readers. And like Becca Freeman, for example, her book just came out like last month. It's called like the Christmas Orphans Club. Anyways, it's one of those podcasts. It's like when you find it, you just go back and listen to all the episodes. I've been reading a lot more, especially as of recently. I think with the, I don't know, it's getting colder. It's getting darker soon. So now when I get home from work, I just like, have been curling up in a bed and reading before I get to get to bed a lot more often than I did, at least during the summertime. They also just have like really unique recommendations. I think sometimes when I'm like looking for new books to read, I find that I like kind of get trapped in just like what the typical book talk ones are, you know, and it's like hard to find like different original, not original recommendations. I don't shame women for liking what all the other girls like, but you know, it just provides other insights and other cool recommendations. So, um, I like it and beyond like the books, like they do just like have fun banter. So yeah, I would totally recommend it. Love their banter just as much as their book talks. So love books. Mm-hmm. I had insane goals to like read this year and I was going to read Me like too. a book a month and I was going to do so good and like track it all and that did not happen after January. That's so fair. I did download the app Storygraph and I love it because it takes – Have you? do you know that app? Yeah, I think we talked about it in our yeah. book episode, right? Yes, mm-hmm. and I just love it because it makes nice little charts like dividing out the things I've read and it's my favorite. And I've read – 15 books this year which was actually surprising (laughs) i had a goal to read 25 and so i'm 10 behind it's like oh six books until you're back on track to do 25 by the end of the year (laughs) i don't think that's gonna happen but i i have Uh, read 15 books this year which is more than i have in a while so i was like most of the books i finish are just from the podcast so it helped that we had like a book in january and february i think Mm -hmm. 
I read and those then, ones, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and then we had Dickie Chappelle and then our October books. That helped a lot, but mm-hmm. I have not read as many as I wish I would have. Yeah. I mean, oh, granted, well. all of mine, the books I've read this year are the ones that we've done for the episodes. And then also yeah. Sarah J. Mass, to be honest. So. Oh, fair. Who is your spotlight for the month? Um, week? This is fun because I actually recognized her artwork and then I was like, oh, that's where I know her from. So her name is Eggs Dudes on um instagram so it's e-g-g-s like eggs and then d-o-d d-o-o-d-z dudes cute yeah and her name's erin she's an illustrator in the united kingdom and she actually has case defy cases Mm. which is where i recognize her from because i am a case defy person if they want to sponsor us that'd be great this is my case Ha, <laughs> good it's to know. Very cute. Like, shout out to Storygraph and Case Defy, which are big fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I remember seeing her designs and like really loving them. But she also just has some like cute little Halloween ones going on. I just love her style. It's like very colored pencil, very mm, cute. Mm-hmm. But just like really fun illustrations. I also see some like Miffy in there, which I love Miffy. Yeah. It's this little bunny from Amsterdam. It looks so freeing the way. Yeah, there's like, it's like, I don't want to say dainty in a way, but like, it's just, yeah, colorful and just very pretty. Yeah. So definitely check her out. It's awesome. That's I'm like, I love those. I do need a new case. Mine is like a $8 one for H&M that like has been broken for over a year. Like it's it's time. Yeah, buy a case. I really (laughs) like the case to buy ones actually. Like it was the one that I, the only one I could find that actually worked with my magnetic wallet. I have like the magnetic Mm -hmm. MagSafe wallet from Apple and there's actually function with that. So how to give them that. that. Cool. Well, are we ready to talk about Gone Girl? Yes, I am. Awesome. Um, I will say the movie of this one has also outshined the book, which is kind of funny that that's also mm-hmm. a parallel between the two. Yeah. It's gotten real. like Golden Globes, BAFTAs, mm-hmm. Critics' Choice Awards, Academy Awards. It's very, very It was a good movie. It is a very good movie. Um, one of the benefits it does have is it is only 149 minutes instead of five hours of <laughs> Gone with the Wind. Yeah, wait, hold on. I'm looking at what the actual runtime is. Oh my gosh, three hours and 58 minutes. Oh, there you go. Oh, and like that movie came out forever ago. Just mm-hmm. uh, no need. That's longer no than need. a Marvel movie. It's not necessary. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's talk about the plot. Um, warning, spoilers ahead, obviously. Yeah, true. <laughs> so if you haven't heard the ending of this movie that came out in 2014, then don't listen. True. I mean, hey, I hadn't seen it either until today, yeah, so no judgment. That's okay. And mm-hmm. it's such a good plot twist. So, like, I don't yeah. know, maybe we should, like, warn people, don't listen to this episode if you haven't seen this movie. Go watch It's the worth movie, it to wait back. for the plot twist. I'm so glad yes. I didn't know it fully. Basically, what happens is on their fifth wedding anniversary, the husband, Nick Dunn, who's a writing teacher, returns home and his wife, Amy, is missing. So Amy kind of has this weird fame because she was, like, the subject of her parents' children's books mm-hmm. that were like really well known and everything that were titled amazing amy mm-hmm. and so the whole movie is told in like the form of diary entries and flashbacks and stuff as you go throughout mm-hmm. which makes it very intriguing because mm-hmm. you're only getting pieces of the story as it continues but what happens is that like amazing amy was just this idealized 
version of like Amy's failures. So she was like, mm-hmm. if I lost the spelling bee, amazing, amazing Amy won it and went on to state or something like that. So basically her mm-hmm. parents like twisted the narrative of her childhood yeah, with this like yeah, fictional weird. character. Mm-hmm. Super strange. And they were psychologists, so it makes it even weirder. There's always a root. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, issues. maybe that would drive you insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Oh, if anything could drive you to kill your husband, maybe that's it. Um, maybe. Or not kill your husband, but kind of try to kill him. Both Nick and Amy lost their jobs in the recession, and they moved from New York to Missouri in order to help his dying mother. And it was during this time that he grew distant from her and started an affair with one of his students in a typical <sighs> movie cliche fashion. Such a cliche. There's this line that the sister has is like, you're a writer. You're supposed to hate cliches. <laughs> yeah, that that's so such funny. a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amy becomes really resentful of Nick because he uprooted her entire life. I mean, he moved her away from her home and her job and everything. And she was like taking care of his mom, I think. Like mm-hmm. it is a major part of her life. Um, so the, then it goes back to the beginning where the detective Rhonda and her forensic team find poorly concealed evidence of a struggle and profuse blood loss in the house. Profuse. I want to emphasize this. Yeah. So much blood loss. (laughs) So she learns of financial issues that they were having, spousal disputes. She recently attempted to buy a gun and they Mm -hmm. have like record of that. Um, Medical reports also indicate that she was pregnant, which he said he had no knowledge of. And on every wedding anniversary, Amy had set up these like elaborate treasure hunts for him. Mm -hmm. And so this year's clues appear in places where he had had sex with his student. Yep. Which, come on, you have to appreciate the genius of that. Just a little. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Which revealed the knowledge of the affair, and he discovers thousands of dollars of items purchased with his credit card hidden in his twin sister's woodshed. Mm -hmm. And her clues lead authorities to a half-burnt diary documenting her growing dread of Nick and ending up with a genuine fear that he will kill her. Um, At this point, you learn Amy's alive. She's hiding in a campground in the Ozarks. After mm-hmm. she discovered his affair, she came up with this insanely elaborate plan I, mm-hmm. to frame him for her murder. So she had him ramp up life insurance. She used his credit card to buy the woodshed items. She befriended a pregnant neighbor and told her stories about Nick's temper that he had no idea that she was even friends with. That part was so crazy to me. It was like mm-hmm. every time he was gone, she would like go over and like talk to this pregnant neighbor. Just um, to try and like make yeah. it don't help her story be more believable so insane she also stole her urine oh like the pregnant neighbor's urine to fake a pregnancy mm-hmm. so that media would be more sympathetic after her disappearance because sadly like a man killing his pregnant wife has happened it's like, <laughs> like the highest like reason why pregnant women die is like yeah homicide from their spouses or something i don't know yeah. there's i i might be misquoting it but it is like yeah, it's very scary. I think it, it literally one of the greatest reasons why pregnant women die now is being killed. So mm-hmm. it sadly, like, that's not a crazy thing for the media to believe is that he killed mm-hmm. her because she was pregnant. Very yeah. believable. It was during this time, though, that she was also writing in the diary with all these fabricated entries and, like, all this incriminating evidence. And on the morning of her disappearance, she drained and splattered her own blood across the kitchen uh-huh. and then cleaned it haphazardly. 
And then her original plan was actually to just kill herself after he was arrested and then have her body be found in order to ensure his death sentence. Which is insane that she was so mad at him. She was literally just going to die in order Mm -hmm. to like, that's where it gets a little. (laughs) Nick figures out what she's doing, obviously. He convinces his twin sister of his innocence. He hires a lawyer um, who's known for representing subjects like that, like where you kill your spouse, which Mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing we could get into. Nick meets two of her ex-boyfriends, Tommy O'Hara, who claimed he was framed for rape by her after he ended their relationship, and then a wealthy Desi Collings on whom she had filed a restraining order for stalking, and Mm -hmm. he turns turns him away. So at this point, Amy at her campground in the Ozarks, her neighbors actually rob her, and she had, like, taken a bunch of money in order to Mm -hmm. make it to the end. And so she calls... Desi, that ex-boyfriend that Nick had just met that she filed a restraining order for stalking against to help her, um, convincing him that she fled because her husband was abusive. So he agrees to hide her at his lake house. And um, the lawyer convinces Nick to reveal his affair on a popular talk show to, like, seize the narrative away from the media and kind of, like, prove his innocence. Because, like, he has nothing Mm -hmm. to hide. It's a good move, like... Yeah, to be like, yeah, I did have an affair. I was a bad husband, but I did not kill her is essentially yes. what the point of it is. Exactly. Andy reveals the affair at a press conference shortly before the show. That's his mistress, his student. Mm-hmm. But Nick insists on conducting the interview anyway. He affirms his innocence, feigns regret for his shortcomings as a spouse, knowing mm-hmm. that Amy will be watching. So he basically pretends that he's more upset about being a bad husband than he is yeah about (laughs) being framed for murder yes Mm -hmm. um it's a success there's widespread sympathy for nick however they already have enough evidence to arrest him and they actually arrest both him and his twin sister their Mm -hmm. lawyer bails them out and then they're preparing for this trial after watching the interview amy has this weird moment where like she can tell he's figured her out and so she like but, like, she feels seen in that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so she, like, thinks he's attractive again. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I do love my husband. I don't know. It's kind of that same similar, like, Scarlett like O'Hara at the bed with Ashley. And then she's like, oh, maybe I did love Rhett the whole time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I can't comprehend it, but whatever. <laughs> so she spends weeks crafting this insane escape story and uses, like, the lake house surveillance cameras and then, like, lots of self-inflicted injuries that I'm not going to go into that. Like, it shows way more in the film than I wish it did. Yeah, I wasn't um, really watching the screen for that. Yeah, she just basically makes it appear that, like, this ex-boyfriend she's been staying with, Desi, that he kidnapped and raped her and mm-hmm. makes it, like, very clearly look like that. She then seduces him and slits his throat during sex and then returns home covered in blood. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. Yep. Which clears Nick of suspicion, obviously. So then the case is (sighs) dismissed, pretty much. They examine her and they're like, yeah, it looks like she was restrained and raped. They look at the security camera footage. It matches up with everything she's saying. Um, The detective probes some inconsistencies, but she spins the focus by basically calling the detective incompetent. 
And so the FBI just like believes her and closes the case. The detective still remains convinced of her guilt, but like there's nothing you can do. Like she's not yeah. dead. So like what do you accuse her mm-hmm. of? I'm sure like, legally too within like her job, like she's not really allowed to push it. No. There's a scene that cuts to later where Nick's like, please, like, you can't give up on me. And she's she's like, I can't. Like, yeah, the case isn't under me anymore. Like, it's whatever. It doesn't matter what I think anymore. No, because it's like no one's dead anymore other than Desi. And they have, like, evidence basically saying that he was guilty. So it's like, yeah, exactly. what do you do? Um, She tells Nick the truth once they're back home, admits that she killed Desi, states that him pleading for her to return on TV is the one that she wants and the one who inspired her forgiveness, that she's like, I love you again. He shares all of this with the detective, his lawyer, and his twin sister. And despite like them all agreeing that she's guilty, they're like, well, there's nothing we can do. And so mm-hmm. the lawyer's like, good luck. <laughs> Goes back to New York. <laughs> Can you imagine walking around for the rest of your life with that knowledge? Yeah, literally. Uh, That would just be insane. So then they have like this televised interview in their home seven weeks later. Nick is like basically planning to leave her, which like fair, and publicly expose her story. And so she reveals that she's actually pregnant minutes before the interview, which is even crazier because she inseminated herself. Mm-hmm. with his sperm from a fertility clinic and mm-hmm. he reacts really violently at first but then he like feels responsibility for the child and then he decides to stay with her mm-hmm. and they announce on television that they're expecting a child and that's and how then the movie ends you pretty much assume that they're gonna just be together the rest of their lives now yeah it's crazy it's insane that moment when it switches to like you realizing that nick actually is innocent and then it shows her like planning the whole thing and driving away my jaw dropped i could yeah. not even fathom it was yeah. crazy some things about it there's been like a lot of controversy around it um a lot of people were really mad about this some people described the end as polarizing of course she brought up the fact that she wrote it because she wanted to counter the idea that women are naturally good and that mm-hmm. women can be just as violently minded as men are which i think is a really important thing yeah um however she like because there was so much critical gender related response she said there was 24 hours where she hovered under her covers and was like i killed feminism i didn't mean to do that why did i do that oh yeah oh no yeah and then kind of eventually felt more comfortable with what she had written it was a lot of like people said well you're buying into the idea that like women aren't telling the truth when they're talking about sexually Mm -hmm. sexual assault which Mm -hmm. we've talked about before like 4.5 percent of yeah like most reports are false false so like are not no they're not common and this Mm -hmm. would definitely fall into like a very one percent situation but because Mm -hmm. of how popular the story was i can see why people were worried about that yeah it also like fed into a lot of misogynist myths about like female behavior where it's like Mm. oh if you're not a good husband your wife's gonna go crazy and with help of the internet she can frame you for murder and it's just like the amount of cases like this which i doubt this has ever actually happened compared to like what we talked about of like spousal abuse and homicide where men actually Mm -hmm. do kill their pregnant wives like it's just not even a comparison like this would be like a one in a million Mm -hmm. one in a billion probably but it did like bring a lot of controversy and then also like I thought this was kind of funny. They, <laughs> someone wrote in the Washington Post that they're like, Amy Elliott Dunn is probably the only fictional character I can think of who might accurately 
accurately be described simultaneously as a misogynist and a misandrist. Yeah. Which I thought was very fitting. We're like, she Mm -hmm. kind of hates women, but she also hates men. Yeah. And so that's what makes her such a like. Interesting character. Yeah. Because it's like nobody's like this. Like I, I don't know. No one that I know. (laughs) Yeah. True. And so it's like. More clearly than Scarlett O'Hara, you can call Amy a psychopath, like, very clearly. Um, Mm -hmm. She commits horrific acts, but she feels that she's completely justified. She thinks Mm -hmm. that she's having, like, a logical response to the crimes that have been committed against her, which, Mm -hmm. sorry to tell you, but being cheated on does not justify framing someone for murder. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that says something, like, I I was talking about the movie, like I said, with Jordan. I was like, I get the impulse, like, after someone wronged you to, like, you know, want to take revenge. And he was like, yeah, but it's not like that, like – she was like, oh, so in love with him. It was more of like the how dare someone do that to me because Mm -hmm. I'm perfect. Like it was the embarrassment of having someone that she thought was so much lesser than her actually, you know, like, yeah, or someone that she didn't respect which at the time was her husband do something like that when she felt like like, it wasn't like she loved him. And he's like, like, that's not a normal response of like someone losing their mind who's like in love with the person. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. I completely agree. It's that self-importance. It also shows like she has this detachment from womanhood that I think is really Mm -hmm. similar to Scarlett O'Hara where she's unable and unwilling to connect with other women. She doesn't have any genuine friendships. Like everyone that she meets is to serve a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. She dismisses other women as unintelligent, overly emotional, hysterical. She Same scorns women yeah. who settle into their remote romantic relationships who allow themselves to be used and discarded. Like she does not think highly of her own sex at all. But she also does kind of bring up the fact that like, there's this quote where she says, it's a very difficult era in which to be a person, just a real actual person, instead of a collection of personality traits selected from an endless automat of characters. And then later she even says, it's gotten to the point where it seemed like nothing matters because I'm not a real person and neither is anyone else. I would have done anything to feel real again. And so it's kind of like this showing her antisocial personality disorder, but also like in a relatable way, like disconnection and isolation that shows like the 21st century, like the fact Mm -hmm. that everyone has moments where they don't even feel like a person. Yeah. I'm sure especially with like the online world, you know, where people are creating personas Mm -hmm. to show up online when it's like that can't like that's not good for us mentally to like no have two versions of yourself and maybe like the one that's getting all the recognition recognition is the one that is not really you and that's like what happened with her and the books right where it's like yes there was the younger version of her who had this beautiful perfect life on the outside but like that wasn't her but it was her everyone called her amazing amy because that's who the books was and there's like a moment where it's like oh my gosh she was amazing amy it's like yeah yeah mm -hmm." But not really. I was like, no, she wasn't. And that's like, I love the ties that bring these stories together so much. The like the romantic relationships are central, but both focus. I loved this, that she put this in the art, in the essay. She said that both stories function as a criticism of marriage as an institution and social commentary on the inequalities that women face in their romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And that in order to achieve success in their romantic relationships, they often have to meet these arbitrary, unrealistic standards dra- dictated by men. And that's mm-hmm. what comes up in her cool girl speech that so many people relate to, where she scorns both the men who believe in the existence of an idealized woman and the women 
women who compromise their identities to appeal, even though she does it herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, she obviously has this very strange idea about love because of like being told that love should be unconditional. It kind of comes to the fact that like she's supposed to love Nick despite all of his shortcomings and he's supposed to love her, but clearly neither of them do mm-hmm. because like she's living in a world where women can be anything, it really means that women must be everything, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about before. And this can lead to the idea that like women have to be everything, but they just have to also love the men who can't possibly be everything. Yeah. A lot of like weird, yeah, complicated emotions with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just like this constant thing where like she can't, she never feels like she's actually her true self because Mm -hmm. she can't be imperfect because imperfection is something that women can't be. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you can tell that she's like thinking about it so logically that it's like, I get where you're coming from. Obviously, that's not real. And like anyone who understands just like loving people for just the sake of being them, mm-hmm. like conditions aren't something you think about. But like I get why with her like logical sociopathic mind she's coming to that conclusion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's what i think makes it kind of sympathetic in a lot of ways one thing that's also interesting she brings up the fact that like there's this paradox of declining female happiness that a lot of like Mm. crazy anti-feminists will try to throw they're like well women are statistically less happy than they were before so obviously feminism's bad no (laughs) it's just just the like it's it shows clearly with like amy and scarlet Scarlet doesn't face the same internal struggles that Amy does because she has a more difficult life. Does that make sense? Yeah. She's like mm-hmm. able to be assertive and like she lives like in she a world. She has to do that. And like yes. she's like able to get out her frustrations on the world because she has to act in these ways to survive. Yes. It says Scarlet lives in a world of few choices and rigid expectations. Her psychopathy allows her to reject traditional femininity and pursue a lifestyle that is conducive to her happiness and well-being. Thus, yeah. it frees her. Amy, mm-hmm. however, is forced to live in a more complex world wherein her psychopathy is just one persona that proves to be her breaking point. So Scarlet's able to shun the construct of femininity to like, you know, assert her own intentions on her life. Whereas like Amy isn't able to do that. So it leads to like Scarlet kind of being able to live like a relatively normal-ish life. Mm -hmm. Whereas Amy, on the other hand, has cognitive dissonance so deep-seated that she ends up being violent and destructive. So I think it's just kind of interesting. It leads to more of like a time issue than a feminist issue where I'm like, no, the issue is our time period, not necessarily the freedoms that women have. Because- Neither of them, I would say, are feminist icons. I think it's just more of <laughs> yeah. a, a look into the situations that women lived in and mm-hmm. how it relates. I don't know. It's very interesting. <laughs> no, it is really interesting. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the balance of I absolutely very much like relate to their feelings and their frustrations about being a woman. But at the same time, you have to be able to say that's evil and wrong. You know, yes. <laughs> I mean, people joke on the internet of like, haha, I support women's rights and their wrongs. And like, it's funny in some ways, you know, but it's like, well, at a certain point, you do have to be able to say, I understand your maybe motive sometimes, but, <laughs> but don't, don't yeah, do this. Don't do that. Yeah. No, I agree. I, one thing I loved is that she talked about at the end that the female condition is ultimately about freedom and perhaps mm-hmm. it always has been that it kind of shows that maybe that's just what women have wanted forever mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it 
the real story will only ever be complete when female characters are no longer defined by their gender at all. Oh my gosh. Wow, that would be an interesting world to live in, wouldn't it? It really would be. <laughs> I mean, it, if anything, it makes for interesting characters and it makes for very interesting movies with lots to think about. So, yeah, you know, it's unlikable characters. I think it, same thing with, you know, you brought up our bonus book episode from last week where we talked about how it's like a lot of times it's just acknowledging the darkness that's like already in you. And mm-hmm. I think with like, yeah, these like unlikable maybe even evil characters, you know, there are parts of yourself that maybe you do see and it provides an interesting, I don't know, way to like look at those destructive thoughts and behaviors and not even destructive thoughts because it's like, of course, people are going to long for freedom and going to long to be away from their restraints. But I don't really have a final point of just more of like, huh? Yeah, wow, that was an interesting experience I had this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I get what you're saying. It's kind of hard too because it's like, yeah, obviously, these are meant to be like cautionary tales almost, right? Yeah, like, one totally. To do. Mm-hmm. But then it's strange to like look at it and be like, oh, it's so weird that this book written in the 1800s and this book that was mm-hmm. written in the 2000s still have that like parallel connection mm-hmm. to each other of like women being trapped. And then breaking <laughs> out in these very like yeah, destructive not good ways. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think that like we can progress so much as a society and there's still probably some part of every single woman that feels feels this way yeah and i'm like oh that kind of just shows more of the issues with the world Mm -hmm. like it also leads into a whole like what made them psychopaths was it nature is it nurture yeah yeah (laughs) which and i think at least with i think both of them it does show like trauma you know where it's like garlet she like started as an annoying teenager which like her behavior at the beginning of the movie you can almost forgive because yeah she's just like an annoying teenager that you're like oh she'll grow up but then it's almost like then they go through this war and she loses and she watches people die she watches like devastation and then she kind of just like got stuck that way and then was like well i have to be this way in order to survive so there's no need for me to like you know, move outside and like almost like getting stuck in that survival mindset, which was necessary for times of her life. She just like carried it through. Oh, and then of course with Amy, with we talked about how the books that her parents wrote, like they both have like very like reasons why. Definitely, it would make sense that that would be a human reaction. But just because something traumatic happens to you doesn't mean you have to become a uncaring bad person. No. Oh, man. Anyway. So Simple Favorite. That's another just fun movie. And one of the main characters is a definitely psychopath. So there's another fun one that I watched a clip of it on TikTok recently and I was like, oh, this movie is so good. So it's so crazy. That was another one where like I went into it from all the previews expecting it to be like a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And then it very quickly turns into a comedy and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) What's happening? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That was a good one. Totally. Um, Yeah. I would also highly recommend Rebecca. I noticed like we talked about it last week with um, Hitchcock and that film is actually rated like ridiculously well on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. I haven't Mm -hmm. seen the Hitchcock one. The Netflix rendition is rated really low, but I personally liked liked it too. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. Check out that one, too, if you want another example. They don't actually have, like, Rebecca really in it. She's kind of this presence. Mm -hmm. It's like a ghost story. I will definitely will be talking about that story for a future Halloween because that fascinates me and I want to read it really bad. But Mm -hmm. Well, hope you enjoyed our More Than Amuse Murder Mystery Month topics. I had so much fun doing all the research for it and preparing everything for it. Um, This come out 
comes out on Monday, the day before Halloween. So, so happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween, however you choose to celebrate that. Maybe celebrate by listening to all of our October episodes if you haven't gotten the chance to do that yet. And follow us on Instagram, morethanmuse.podcast. All the, you know, rating and reviews, awesome. And we're also now on YouTube mm-hmm. doing visuals. Go subscribe. You can go subscribe. Go check that out on there if that's how you prefer to watch your long-form content. Yep. And don't forget to come back next month with even more. We will be continuing on as regular with more women and stories from pop culture and history. Mm-hmm. Of course, all framing them through feminism because that's why we're here, folks. Equality. that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. We'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.